Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Welcome back. Wednesday, May 31st, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. is the key to entry. See, we got uh, Bill over there. We got David Dahl and the producer's uh, chair. Everything going okay over there? We're double teaming me today? <laughs> yeah, we're both afraid of you. That's why I need the help. <laughs> I need the extra help today. <laughs> Maybe. We asked yesterday in our conversation with Hugh Hallman if we need a redefinition of conservatism. And by redefinition, we mean really a definition. Just as Abraham Lincoln said we needed a good definition of liberty in his time, we may need to go back to basic roots in ours. As we said yesterday, William Buckley postulated the importance of distinguishing between people who push old ladies. Are they pushing the old lady in front of a bus? Or are they pushing the old lady out of the way of the bus? The distinction matters, as all distinctions matter. But saying we just have a preference for one over the other without being able to provide the reasons why, or that we abhor both without making distinctions, is little better, as I closed yesterday, than the cannibal G.K. Chesterton postulated as to why he was wrong to want to eat other human beings in England and all the modern Englishman interlocutor could tell him was, we just don't do that here. Abraham Lincoln did, in fact, once ask, quote, what is conservatism? His answer, quote, is it not the adherence to the old and the tried against the new and the untried? Here was Lincoln at Peoria, at Peoria, Illinois. Quote, let us readopt the Declaration of Independence and with it, the practices and policy which harmonize with it. Let North and South, let all Americans, let all lovers of liberty everywhere join in the great and good work. If we do this, we shall not only have saved the Union, but we shall have so saved it as to make and to keep it forever worthy of the saving. We shall have so saved it that the succeeding millions of free, happy people the world over shall rise up and call us blessed to the last generations, close quote. Let me try this with you. See if you can guess who said it. It's a long quote. Here it is. The United States carries a weighty and far-reaching responsibility, not only for the well-being of its own people, but for the development and destiny of people throughout the world by its example. The founding fathers of the United States asserted their claim to freedom and independence on the basis of certain self-evident truths about the human person, truths which could be discerned in human nature, built into it by nature's God. Thus, they meant to bring into being not just an independent territory, but a great experiment in what George Washington called ordered liberty, an experiment in which men and women would enjoy quality of rights and opportunities in the pursuit of happiness and in the service of the common good. Reading the founding documents of the United States, one has to be impressed by the concept of freedom they enshrine, a freedom designed to enable people to fulfill their duties and responsibilities toward the family and toward the common good of the community. Their authors clearly understood there could be no happiness without respect and support 
for the natural groupings through which people exist, develop, and seek the higher purposes of life in concert with others. The American democratic experiment has been successful in many ways. Millions of people around the world look to the United States as a model in their search for freedom, dignity, and prosperity. But the continuing success of American democracy depends on the degree to which each new generation, native-born and immigrant, makes its own the moral truths on which the Founding Fathers staked the future of the Republic. Their commitment to build a free society with liberty and justice for all must be constantly renewed if the United States is to fulfill the destiny to which the Founders pledged their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor. Close quote. The Speaker concluded with a prayer, a prayer for our country, quote, that America will experience a new birth of freedom, freedom grounded in truth and ordered to goodness, close quote. Any guess as to who said that? Anyone? It's an unfair question. But it was John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, welcoming the U.S. ambassador to the Holy See in 1998. It's not about, and the Pope did not mention, as my professor Harry Jaffa pointed out, that our founders were committed to anything like and did not use the word values, not Western values, not traditional values, or any other kind of subjective noun. They spoke of right and wrong and of truths and natural rights and natural law. This is the kind of conservatism I think we should strive for, one who stands, one that stands with our founders and the natural individual rights we have inherently and founded our country upon and is on an uncontrolled sluice right now in eradicating and memory-holing all of that. You see it almost everywhere, and you've heard me quote a lot of things on this. Czech writer Milan Kundera, who knows what it's like to lose a country, is a good one. His quote will do just fine when he said, The first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history, then have somebody write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history. Before long, the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was, and the world around it will forget even faster. Close quote. That's how you do it. And that's how the left, and frankly, too much of the right, does it. As John Francois Ravel wrote, quote, Democratic civilization is the first in history to blame itself because another power might be working to destroy it. The distinguishing mark of our century, this was in the last century, is not so much communism's determination to erase democracy from our planet or its frequent success in pursuing that end, as it is the humility with which democracy is not only consenting to its own obliteration, but is contriving to legitimize its deadliest enemy's victory. He goes on. It is natural for communism to try with all its might to eliminate democracy, since the two systems are incompatible and depend on the rival's annihilation. But it is less natural and more novel that the stricken civilization should not only be deeply convinced of the rightness of its own defeat, but that it should regale its friends and foes with reasons why defending itself would be immoral and in any event superfluous, useless, even dangerous. A civilization that feels guilty for everything it is and does lacks the energy and conviction to defend itself, close quote. How does one get to that guilt? How does one get to the point that we no longer defend our honor? By erasing our history, by distorting it, and then censoring those who try to teach or reteach that which is being washed away by Marxist firehoses all day long. 
Kundera had it right. George Orwell had it right. Whitaker Chambers had it right. Barry Goldwater had it right. As Whitaker Chambers put it, quote, those who visited the dark house of Marxism stayed a while, supped there, but ultimately they heard the screams and left. And as they would tell you, all of them, they had somewhere to go. They had a free part of Europe in some cases, of course, but they had America. And America in those days had no self-doubt because it understood human nature, because its founding understood human nature, because its founders understood nature and natural law, close quote. We didn't buy the notion we could create a new man here, as Marx postulated. The idea of man being lower than God and angels and yet above animals was just fine for us. Thank you. If you want to understand how during the Cultural Revolution in China, the erasure of femininity could be a feature of ending the old customs, you need look no further than the China Constitution, which states, quote, The victory in China's new democratic revolution and the successes in its socialist cause have been achieved by the Chinese people of all nationalities under the leadership of the Communist Party of China and the guidance of Marxism-Leninism and Mao Zedong thought, close quote. It's in their constitution. Today, we defend China. We import its practices here, practices on surveillance and free speech and suppression of thought. We ape its practices in the revision of history. We defend it against criticism, and we follow the Maoist line of ridding ourselves of history and custom and the N-word, nature. Conservatism stands four square against this, even modern conservatism. Here's Barry Goldwater in The Conscience of a Conservative, page 9. Quote, the laws of God and of nature have no date line. The principles on which the conservative political position is based have been established by a process that has nothing to do with the social, economic, and political landscape that changes from decade to decade and from century to century. These principles are derived from the nature of man and from the truths that God has revealed about his creation. Circumstances do change due to the problems that are shaped by circumstances, but the principles that govern the solution of the problems do not. To suggest that the conservative philosophy is out of date is akin to saying that the Golden Rule or the Ten Commandments or Aristotle's politics are out of date. The conservative approach is nothing more or less than an attempt to apply the wisdom and experience and the revealed truths of the past to the problems of today. The challenge is not to find new or different truths but to learn how to apply established truths to the problems of the contemporary world. Close quote. What kind of conservative shall we be? What kind of conservatives shall we all be? The kind that thinks the world has had and heard enough screams, and the kind that knows the difference between fact and fiction, animal and man, man and God, male and female, girl and boy, and right and wrong. The kind that wants to resist those that don't. The kind that thought this could be the first revolution that would not eat its children because it was not afraid, like Saturn and the left, of its children. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Is the equivalent of saying that the man who pushes the old lady into the way of an oncoming bus and the man who pushes the old lady out of the way of an oncoming bus are both people who push old ladies around.
It's a lot of muskrat love. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. 602 It's perfectly fine. It brings uh, <coughs> memories of a um, more halcyon time. And by that, I mean where the distinctions were better, where the Democrats were better and the country was better. Uh, the country was better because it wasn't consumed with self-doubt, flagellation, and guilt and uh, understood uh, the difference between ourselves and tyrannies. You know, there's uh, how many of you have seen <clears throat> this debate, debate uh, this uh, controversy uh, over the City University of New York Law School graduation ceremony that took place this past weekend where the speaker, Fatima Muhammad, uh, Addressed. She was the commencement uh, speaker for the for the law students, law school students. She was the law school. They, she was in the graduating class, and the speaker, the students selected to represent them, and uh, engaged in a screed the likes of which would be framed, probably by Louis Farrakhan. It's incredible that we're churning out students like this. It's incredible that they now will have law degrees and practice their publicly paid-for education that we gave them in the public sphere. And yet there's this third thing which hasn't really been discussed enough. So everyone's mad at faculty and the administration to let this go on. But what about the students who selected her? What about the students that selected her as the school speaker? Fatima Muhammad, reading from National Review, a student activist whose recent speech at the City University of New York Law School, again, public law school, graduation was roundly condemned as anti-Semitic, had an extensive history of making remarks on social media. In May of last year, she tweeted, quote, every Zionist should burn in the hottest pit of hell, close quote. The following day, she posted on Twitter, quote, my mom would have a heart attack if she knew I pray for the death of the USA on a public platform. But YOLO, I guess, close quote. Do you know YOLO? Do you guys know that abbreviation YOLO? You only live once, is it? Yeah, YOLO. We have to learn these things, I guess, now. Later that month, Muhammad responded to a message by Andrew Yang. Remember him? He was the Democrat running for president who's now part of the No Labels movement. Uh, he um, He had condemned Hamas terrorists and wrote that the people of New York City will always stand with our brothers and sisters in Israel who face down terrorism and persevere. This would-be lawyer wrote, quote, May you burn in the same fire the Zionists celebrated today, and may every Zionist like yourself face the wrath of your injustice. Allah something, which means may God curse you, she wrote. Um, The tweets came against a backdrop of escalating violence between Israel and and the uh, Arabs. However, Muhammad's rhetoric and anti-Semitism only grew. In 2022, Muhammad spoke at a rally put on by the activist group Within Our Lifetime, an organization that ha- who's, uh, an organization whose uh, leading me- uh, whose chairman has been imprisoned on federal charges for assaulting a Jewish man in New York City later that year. Court documents following that attack showed the group had bought, brought, 
Molotov cocktails and instructed members to refer to replace the word Zionists rather than Jews because it helpfully avoids accusations of anti-Semitism. But then on the group chat, another one wrote, still F all Jews, but didn't just use the letter F. So this is um, this is the kind of commencement speaker <laughs> when I talk about the more halcyon days of the 70s. You would never think of even being able to exist. You wouldn't have students pushing that. You wouldn't have a school promoting it. You wouldn't have a school graduating into the field of law that. By the way, her condemnations of Israel are alongside condemnations, equally so, of the United States. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to think about whether we should continue to publicly fund schools that produce students like this. And I don't understand why the debate should be controversial. What is the purpose, after all, behind public funding of our universities or law schools or graduate schools? What is the point of publicly funding them? The point is obvious or used to be. The point is that an educated populace is generally good for our country and that the whole and the entirety of the public has a vested interest in an educated population. Of course, there are disequalities of scale when some people who may not have a choice in where their taxes go and, you know, don't choose to get degrees in higher education or even maybe perhaps college degrees at all, but come to live in a world that still thinks, nonetheless, it's good to have some people who hold those degrees and practice their expertise. So if that's the basis for the public funding of these schools— It's based on the premise that this education will produce a better society, more learned, more educated, perhaps more specialized. But this is going backwards. This is publicly funding barbarism. This is publicly funding inspiration and ideation to terrorism. This is publicly funding bigotry by any definition of the word bigotry. So let's have the debate. If we're going to continue to publicly fund our schools of higher education, our post-secondary schools and postgraduate schools, if we're going to continue to publicly fund them, let's have the debate. What is the good of it? What is the use of it? What are they teaching there? And is that teaching consonant with the purposes of this country and the reasons that people spend their taxpayer dollars on educating these very privileged and very, very uneducated, dumb, future menaces to society. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski is the president. He is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. It's a great website, great way to reach him. And another great way to hear him, besides our visits 
is on his own radio show, heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., bright and early, The Word on Wealth. John, how are you, sir? Fantastic, Seth. Good to hear your voice. Uh, Calm us down. The markets are roiling. Is this having to do with the debt debate right now, you think? Yeah, I mean, really much didn't happen today with the markets. Uh, Of course, we have the House that's going to be voting on on the uh, debt ceiling bill. Um, I I believe that this deal is going to get done. It looks like the Democrats are actually on board with this. Uh, We do have some holdouts on the Republican side. Uh, and there has been some, you know, talk about maybe there's been a few things that were missed in the bill. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be some additional, I guess, uh, potential um, handouts yeah. that that were missed. But uh, generally speaking, they did get some non-defense discretionary spending. They're going to be reducing that by 40 billion, I believe it was, yeah. in this deal. That's what the CBO said. Which yeah. is good, right? So yeah. we're not going uh, in, into the negative side of things. We're actually, right. uh, <laughs> you know, at least holding. Yeah. Uh, you know, $40 billion doesn't seem like much in the big scheme of things, but right. at least it's a move in the right direction. Yeah, right. Um, so, but the markets in general really didn't react much today. The future's moving forward for tomorrow. At least it's showing a, a little bit of a flat line again uh, until we actually get something that's solid and we know the direction of where we're at. Uh, I think the markets are going to just kind of be in this holding pattern. Uh, and not that I expect them to just, you know, skyrocket because this deal gets done, because we still have some challenges in the economy. And the Fed is still looking at the possibility of another interest rate hike. It is worth, yes, I saw that. They're delaying it, right, a little bit, but they are still planning on one, right? Yeah, well, they're, they've they left everything on the table, okay, right? Okay. They're not they're not necessarily stating a, a direction yet, whether they're going to pause okay. or they're going to raise. They're just basically saying that we're, we're leaving all options on the table. Probably worth reminding folks that if we don't get an agreement on Mm -hmm. the debt limit, it's going to become more expensive for everyone. Yes, and it's going to be painful. It's going to cost perhaps a lot of jobs in the millions. Yes, yes. Unemployment, and it's going to make money much more expensive. It'll it'll certainly uh, have a, a. a pretty negative impact on on just about everything if if this happens. Yeah, uh, and that's why I believe both sides, you know, want to get this done. That's probably right. After all the posturing, that's probably right. I was looking at the roll call vote, uh, getting it out of uh, out of the uh, rules committee, and it is interesting to point out that more Democrats voted against it than Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I thought, as of you know, reading the headlines about it over the weekend and going into this abbreviated week, I thought it looked like a win for McCarthy. Um, it's it's becoming tougher. And as you say, yeah, we're learning a little bit more. That's what you get the 72 hours to do. Right. And that's right. why you have those 72 hours. But I think that given the Democrats that will be on board for it and the Republicans that will be, it'll probably go forward and we'll start – <clears throat> seeing more green than red at the top of that Wall Street Journal ticker. That's my guess. Most likely, yes. Initially, I believe that's the case. But we still have to get through some real critical uh, data coming up here. You still got, what you are know, you looking for? Well, we're, we're really looking at those employment numbers. The Jolts yeah. report came out today, uh, and it kind of uh, went a little bit in the opposite direction of what maybe many would have expected. Uh, jobs are still uh, you know, tight out there, uh, and uh, the, the Fed is not seeing, I think, a, a quick enough response on unemployment numbers that they would would like to see. Uh, It it is still a pretty hot market out there for some of these tech companies, Mm -hmm. uh, and they're 
you know, until we start to see some real, I guess, uh, pushback on some of that, uh, the Fed is still going to probably hold tight. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did make a, an announcement of an increase at the next meeting. Um, but it's possible that they may wait one month and maybe look at it again in July. Okay. What's your sense of uh, investment money for startups these days, general sense of it? Well, people, it's di- are people hesitant? Yeah. It's more difficult yeah. right now, of course. Yeah. Uh, but there was a, I did read something today that the Saudis, I believe, uh, yeah. threw about $3 billion yeah. into, I think it was Lucid. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, they needed that money. They're yeah. EV, they're they're ooze, they're just like bleeding yeah. cash, yeah. Uh, trying to keep up with this uh, EV market. Yeah. Uh, so that three billion dollars certainly is something that they needed um, to, to to keep things moving forward. Uh, but uh, you have companies like Tesla yep. still still um, leading the pack, yeah. and they're so far ahead of, yeah, of most of these other EV players. I know it's true, and and I don't know if anyone will ever catch up to them. They had such a head start. But I mean, it may may take years, but yeah, a lot right. of times they're all headed for that. You know, the, the yeah. one at the top. They're yeah. all they're yeah. all trying yeah, to knock yeah, them yeah, off. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. They're fighting a lot <laughs> and of battles. Eventually, battle. it happens. Yeah. Amazon was yeah. a big big winner. You know, now of course they've got their challenges. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. But again, it's just difficult for folks to uh, you know get through. And if they need help with that, they certainly can reach out to me. Go to our website at grandcanyonplanning.com and schedule an appointment. You're the best. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finra and Sipigan, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. God bless you, John. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Anything on your mind? You want to talk about the uh, debt ceiling debate as well? I uh, was floating it around a little bit earlier. Uh, we're going to watch and see uh, how the House does vote on it. Um, should be uh, – well, it'll probably – the final vote will probably come after this show. It'll be a little bit later tonight. And uh, the thing I'm interested in most at this point is whether more Democrats vote for it or more Republicans vote for it. Um, despite the obvious fights within the Republican Party over it, of which I am keenly aware, uh, despite that, um, let's do the job, or let's try to do the job the media won't, which is, remember, this isn't just Kevin McCarthy's deal. It's the deal that was cobbled together with White House negotiators. It's Kevin McCarthy and the White House's deal. If more Republicans end up voting for it than Democrats, let's make sure to take that win. In other words, let's make sure to point out that the Democrats have a bigger problem within their ranks than the Republicans do. Let's make sure we underscore that. Let's make sure we exploit that. Let's not fall for this media-driven attempt to show that all the dissension is among the Republicans. Let's see how many Democrats end up voting for it. Because after all, it'll also show you how powerful and strong the White House is. I don't know the answer, obviously. No one does at this point, probably. Maybe the Democratic minority whipped has a concept, but maybe how King Jeffries does. Maybe the White House does. But this could end up being a very significant and serious embarrassment to the White House if the Republicans support this and the Democrats don't by larger margins. And I understand, as I say, 
the debate within the Republican Party over. And I'm sympathetic to really both sides. What I want to do is get beyond this, though. I would like us to move on from this this debate because I still do believe that it had no shot, it will have no shot and had no shot with the original bill that Kevin McCarthy proposed. I'm glad he did it. I'm glad the Republican caucus did it. Obviously, that would have been great. But when you propose a piece of legislation from the perspective of the minority, in other words, not having the White House or the Senate, you know that that's the part below which you negotiate. You don't get that. And what the White House's response was that what was that none of that was on the table. None. Zero. They weren't going to negotiate. And we forced a few things, a few things that we did get. If we went further, I think we get nothing. I think they won't concede at all. It's my general point. Um, the, um, the, the other point to make is when we get the victories that we do achieve here, Let's make sure we move on for them so that we can highlight the real big stories, the real big stories. I get the sense that the media is kind of invested in the debate in the Republican Party right now to avoid the story of Christopher Wray possibly facing a contempt of Congress charge, possibly facing a contempt of Congress charge for not complying with a congressional subpoena. That is a major story, or should be. In a better day, it would be. And then we have all sorts of other investigations to engage in. The complaint about not getting better policy and better budget deals passed is an expectation that was never going to be realistic when we didn't own the Senate or the White House. It was just never going to happen, and its chances of happening are increasingly diminished by the fact that we only have a nine-person majority in the House of Representatives. Keep that point in mind. We can pass all the legislation we want. We should. I support it, and we should continue to push it and try and pummel the Democrats on it, like the Protect Women in Athletics Act and stuff like that, the uh, Women's Bill of Rights that Debbie Lesko and others are promoting, of course. Of course. But that they won't get passed is not McCarthy's fault or Lesko's fault or any of these congressional Republicans' fault. That's the fault of the Senate Democrats. That's the fault of the Biden White House. And that's the bigger point to keep and bear in mind. Because we want those things passed, and the only way to do it is with a substantially larger majority in the House and a simple majority in the Senate. If we could get a a filibuster-proof majority, that would be great. And, of course, the presidency. To that point, I don't think this is particularly helpful. But the news is that Chris Christie and Mike Pence are going to announce their candidacies for the presidency next week. And I don't think it's particularly helpful, not because it subtracts from Ron DeSantis's vote. I don't care about that. I think it's not particularly helpful because I don't even understand what constituency they think they're appealing to. It's a distraction from the larger debate and the larger 
news that the candidates who are already in, which is sufficient and plentiful enough and diverse enough to let them go at it. I don't understand what candidacy and constituency Mike Pence appeals to. I really don't. Chris Christie's entertaining, but beyond that, not much. He's entertaining, and he's a skilled debater. But he's not someone whose word you can take to the bank. He's not someone who is intuitively conservative on very many things. And quite frankly, I would like to see more robust coverage of not just Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, but these other pretty dang good candidates like Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy and Larry Elder, each of whom kind of represent a different part of the conservative movement, but each of which part is hugely important. Hugely. And to the degree that we hope they might shape the larger debate in this country or shape the larger point of what the Republican Party stands for, it's going to be drowned out. It's just going to be drowned out by Chris Christie and Mike Pence. Mike Pence is seemingly to me an honorable and very decent guy and was a great foot soldier for a while. But honestly, tell me, what's missing that he fills? And what's missing that Chris Christie fills? If you see, think I'm wrong, let me know. Happy to, happy, to, uh, happy to tease it out with you. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. Thinking about the economy, bank failures, stock market volatility, a possible recession, inflation... Why refi has an investment in a portfolio, the high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve, a portfolio where you can compound your monthly income and interest, you can turn it on and off, whatever you like, with no loss of principal, if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. Why Refi is based here locally. I and they encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. You won't be asked to sign anything. You won't get a sales pitch. And when you meet with the team at Why Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much. And you can too. A due diligence approved firm, you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right. A 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest letter Y, then R-E-F-Y dot com, or give them a call at 888-888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. David, did you finish the Wrecking Crew yet? Yes, sir, I did. How is it that you're not raving about this? I know why. Wow. I know why, because you watched it the wrong way. You didn't watch it in, you yeah, watched it in bits yet. and parts, and while you were doing other things. Like, like working. Yes, well, right. Yes, we don't watch movies while we work. Correct. I don't think that's an arguable proposition. So which one takes precedence then? Well, I don't know, but it seems to me that there are more than eight hours in a day. And people sometimes do other things outside of those eight hours. Some take dance classes. That's right. Some watch TV. Some read books. Some play sports. Some run. Some work out. How about in that in that diagram in of the times. day, but I, I really did like it. Um, I was I was really surprised. You would have loved it if you sat and watched it the right way. Okay. <laughs> what did you like the best? I, I, I was really surprised to find out guys like Brian Wilson and Glenn Campbell started there and yeah. really made 
Well, at least in Glenn Campbell's case, he really made a successful solo career. I would say Brian Wilson was more so, you know, part of the greater Beach Boys. But yeah. uh, weren't those four musicians great? Oh yeah, and that woman bass player whose oh, riffs yeah. you and just hear in every song. Lyndon Johnson, one year, wasn't yeah, she yeah, great? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the life of a musician, right? I tell you what, anything from that documentary, any show, we need to put in our uh, in our bumper music. I think we're okay. Okay. I think we have a lot from there in our bumper music. Yeah, we yeah. always have more. <laughs> I think we're all right. Great trumpet section, too, led by Bud Brisbois. Yeah. I think we have some. Don't we have his Jesus Christ yeah, Superstar? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, it's a newer yeah. edition. Yep. Yeah. Incredible trumpet player. Who lived here for a while, lived in Phoenix. Really? Yeah, played with the Mesa Community Band, Mesa Community College Jazz Ensemble for a while. Helped him out. They had a great program down there. wonder if anyone in the audience met him. I'd love to hear stories about him. Tragic ending to his life. Anyway, a lot more coming up. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. 